And that great music from Enigma kicks us off here on this edition of Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. It's sure great to have you with us. Whether you're working at, uh, at your place of work, at home, or just kicking around and, and not doing anything. How's your week been, everybody? Uh, we've got uh, old man or old guy winter. He's, uh, he's still hanging on here. And uh, he's trying his best to maybe give us some snow later uh, with our resident meteorologist, Jim Shorney. Mm-hmm. Here's an update on the weather and the forecast for oh. this weekend. You would ask me that, wouldn't you? Well, uh, snow tonight, basically. Yeah. And I, I think uh, last forecast I checked, they were saying maybe an inch or so in uh, in Lincoln and surrounding areas. See, I've... And uh, winter's going to be here for another couple of weeks yet. I've, I've said repeatedly, and I've had official meteorologists, with all due respect to you, Mr. Shorty, <laughs> um, argue the point with me, but I've said, it, it, old folk tiller or nut, traditionally... It snows on either the weekend of the girls' state basketball tournament or the following boys' state basketball mm-hmm. tournament. Sure. So Thursday through Saturday this week, today's the final day of wrap-up for the girls' basketball tournament. Forecast is snow tonight. Next week, the forecast they looked at, still long range, suggested Thursday and Saturday snow mm-hmm. for the Boys State Basketball Tournament. <laughs> and of, of course, uh, a week from today is the uh, Lincoln Ham Fest, which is. Oh, all the ham lovers. Uh, they yeah, get out uh, and. Uh, no, no, the radio people. Share their favorite people. cuts of ham. No, That's no. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we're going to be out at the event center Saturday morning. I will, I will be there, uh, sunshine or snow. But. Uh, no, it's not, I, I get all my information from Ken Dewey, so it's all good anyway. Uh, one inch today, and uh, possibly up to two more inches overnight. Okay. Jim, our resident meteorologist, you have that unofficial title now, so thank you very much. Certainly. Said the Three Stooges. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. We're going to start the program off with Charlene and Pet Talk. Then we've got Preston Dennett. The Seen and the Unseen, and a first-time guest, Nancy Rines, Awakenings from the Light, 12 Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. Here's Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, making all things good. Hi, Charlene, how are you? Uh-oh. Okay, Jim, I'm going to have you take over here for a minute. Okay. That means talking to the microphone. That means talking to the microphone. And uh, what we just had Colleen join us. She's uh, uh, getting ready to have a seat here and get in front of the microphone, so we'll check in with her. And, uh, again, I think uh, we're, we're going to have some more snow tonight, and it's still, despite the, the way the streets look, it's still very slick out there on the the sidewalks and the byways and whatnot. So be very, very careful when you go out. And uh, in lieu of Charlene, I'll say take care of your pets. Make sure they have a warm place to stay. Uh, bring them in the, in the house if, if, you're, if it's at all possible because we're still going to have some frigid weather. And uh, hopefully everybody will stay warm out there. 
Well, Scott, how's it going with the phones? Charlene, are you there? Okay, I will, Jim, I'll take it from here if you okay. want to give our station manager a call, Ryan. I sure will do that. Let him know. We've got uh, apparently a problem with the phone lines here, so uh, we're going to try to get that uh, resolved. We'll come right back after a uh, brief interlude with some music here. I'm Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And Charlene, are you there now? I am here. Okay, great. <laughs> we had uh, we had a brief uh, problem there with the phones. We've got a little teeny auxiliary amber light that has to be on, and apparently somebody moved that, and so that's why we couldn't get you. So apologize to you uh, for making you wait there. No problem. I'm happy to be on the show. And it's great to always talk with you here. Uh, we have some more snow coming in tonight. So how about a pet update and a tip for managing pets in the cold weather? Sure. A good piece of advice is if you're cold, your pet's likely cold. So keep them safe and warm inside. Um, like you said, the temperatures are going to be bitter. It can be dangerous. So please be responsible and kind and take good care of your pets. Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and you've got some fundraisers coming up at Don and Millie's. That's right. We're very grateful. They do a dine-in fundraiser for us. So the next one is coming up on March 13th. It's from 4 to 9, and you mentioned Capital Humane Society, and they'll donate 20% of your ticket to our animal shelter. Jim? Okay, so so tell us more about some of the critters you got down there. I always like to hear about those. Sure. So we could start with dogs if that works for you. You bet. That'll work. We'll start with Louie. And Louie <laughs> is a very handsome spaniel mix. He's got a cute little pose there. It looks like maybe his, his tooth is kind of popping out. <laughs> um, a little underbite maybe. Six years old, an adventurous boy. He'll enjoy going for nice long walks. Um, so if you're, a if you're a spaniel fan, please ask about Louie. Okay, that's that's funny because I just a couple nights ago saw on PBS a a, live, a, a recent concert with the Kingsmen performing Louie Louie. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, cool. so my mind jumped right there. Okay, fine looking fella, handsome handsome little guy. Looks like he's he'll be a lot of fun for somebody. I think so. And next we have Garth, and Garth is a five year old neutered male. He's a coonhound mix. 
and they are known to be vocal, so you want to be sure that you're okay with that. He might not be great in an apartment, um, but he's very intelligent and friendly, looking for a home with people who have plenty of time to provide exercise and playtime and give him the attention he deserves. Well, he does look like a coon hound. Uh-huh. What a what an awesome-looking fella. <laughs> Okay, uh, Louie, Louie, and Garth, and... Next up is Bandit, and Bandit is a schnauzer, a mix. He's 12 years old, but has lots of energy, um, is looking for a family that has plenty of time to spend with him. Um, he does want to be in a home without other dogs, so he's looking to be your one and only canine companion. Um, so if you're looking for a schnauzer, consider Bandit. Looks like he stuck his face in the chimney and came out with it covered with soot. <laughs> uh, that's, and that's great. If you uh, if you are thinking about Bandit, remember there's no Smokey with the Bandit. No Smokey with the Bandit. <laughs> and Bandit is ready to steal your heart. Bandit, Garth. I always liked Garth. I thought that was very cool. Not, not Darth, but Garth. Yeah, Wayne and Garth Wayne from... And Garth. <laughs> and Bandit. Okay. Uh, Hours open today and tomorrow for these great dogs. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. Okay. We're looking at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. My heart's now setting, uh, starting to settle down after that brief interlude of having <laughs> problems with the phone. So. <laughs> Yeah, a talk radio program where we depend upon the phones, and the phones are not working. So. Well, I, I can imagine poor Charlene down there waving and yelling at the phone. I'm here. Can you hear me? <laughs> it's all going to work out, but I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's live radio. Uh-huh. So we do have some fun sometimes. Okay, we're going to cats. Uh, first up is Arlo, and he is a very good-looking Flame Point Siamese mix. Adorable cat, uh, just 10 months old, looking for a family that wants to play, um, that doesn't have other felines. So he wants to be your one and only cat. He's pretty. You you can get anything you want at the Capital Mean Society. Arlo, (laughs) he's joined by? Dominic. And Dominic is, oh, he's got a big picture. It just popped up. He's a one-year-old neutered male domestic short hair. Super handsome with his tabby markings. Uh, looking for a forever home where he's safe and warm. Um, he is ready to meet you at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. <laughs> it would be fun to take a picture of the photographer taking a picture of some of these cats to <laughs> yeah, see what right. to see what they're doing. Yeah, because I could do that. One of my things is taking pictures of the picture takers. Yeah, look That's at an look awesome at idea. look at Edward down here. Edward, he's. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got something. He's just about ready to pounce. <laughs> I think the door was that direction. So he was like, oh, it oh, is open. I'm going to escape. <laughs> Freedom. Oh. Arlo, Dominic, and? Lala. And Lala is very cute. Mostly black oh. with some white. Pretty green eyes. About a year old. Soft, short fur. Um, we do have great uh, animal behavior handouts on our website. So if you ever have questions about like litter box issues or um, cat, uh, stopping cats from scratching on your couch, things like that, we have great tips to help you solve those. So it looks problems. like what I would call a Sylvester cat, except uh-huh. maybe not quite as much white on the face, but the beautiful kitty. Yeah, beautiful eyes. Uh, pictures are up at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. We looked at uh, and talked about Arlo, Dominic. 
and Lala. You can also actually go out and see them today and tomorrow. Here's Charlene with Hours Open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. Okay, Charlene, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? I will be here working today. We have a lot of uh, activities planned. And then tomorrow, boy, I might be shoveling again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. Make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. Hey, with us, Jim, in the studio is um, somebody else that we know here. Colleen, what's going on over there with you? Oh, nothing much. Um just uh i just got in we uh went to a certain fabric store and i bought some more beads for oh my, ear- my earrings cool um, um and my, the phone jack on my, <laughs> the headphones jack on my phone is going out so i had to get myself a pair of bluetooth headphones <laughs> hmm. and what's your what's your drink of pleasure this morning what do you it got it is called bubbly so it's it's bubbly, just not not buble. Not buble is bubbly. Okay, bubbly. Huh? They, they, they actually they actually did a, a commercial with, yeah, my, with buble, and that's I've, what he just kept saying over and over. I've, it's buble. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the funniest part is when he's sitting on the floor reading the the accent and on the cans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really clever spots. Autographing the each can. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's just it's just basically um, carbonated water with lemon flavors. Okay, uh, Jim, if you will look over here, I'm going to point to a button. A button. Okay, that button. And there's a little faded sticker that says Auxiliary On, uh-huh. which is that one right there. And, and you I achieve can... that by pushing that, and it bounces that selector up and down. That was not see, pushed see a there. little tiny light right next to it there. Yeah, yep. that's... Uh, so that's why the phones weren't working. Compared mm. to the other lights on the board, it's almost... It looks like a speck. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so, um, so... So put a big red arrow there. Yeah. Uh, like yeah, like a, a bullseye sticker. Let's circle that. <laughs> for, and folks, if you've never seen a, a board like the one we have here in the station, it kind of looks like the, the bridge console of the yeah. Starship Enterprise... And uh, all sorts of buttons and lights and knobs and just uh, all kinds of trouble to get into. <laughs> See, when Jim's talking like that, too, I can, I can, like, mess with his head and I can just take him right down. Yeah, you could do that. Just like that. There I go. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Scott has control over... <laughs> Young what, lady, you watch out. I can do the same with you, too. <laughs> we, the level pots. Scott has control of the level pots, so he can shut either one of us up if he wants to. Hey, well, let's not shut this guy up. Let's get Preston Dennett on here. And Preston is from the the West Coast. He's got connections uh, internationally, including (laughs) off-planet. And he's got a brand-new book coming out. We are overjoyed to have him next week as the full-length guest. The brand-new book is called The Healing Power of UFOs. 300 personal accounts, or excuse me, 300 true accounts of people healed by extraterrestrials. Mm. Preston, how's the book launch going? It's going great. Couldn't be more excited. So uh, did you put some some uh, extra metal or weight in this book? Because it's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a little bit heavier than I uh, thought it was going to be. Turns out it's the biggest book I've ever written. So it's Over 500 a, pages. A project. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy i mean i don't think i ever want to do that again it was so hard 
But uh, yeah, I'm so so happy. I'm super proud. It's a giant book, uh, but I'm really pleased with how it came out. Hopefully, your publisher didn't sort of go uh 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 when you brought that manuscript <laughs> in. I know, oh, right? <laughs> oh, just just one box, Mister Dennett. No, this is the first of five boxes. <laughs> Boys, bring the rest of the manuscript in. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about speaking at conventions because, you know, I usually like to bring a box of books, but mm, <laughs> I'm not sure I can carry one. Boy, uh, yeah, a couple under each arm, and you've just you've done your weightlifting for today. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to, to talking about the book here. Uh, this is, um, will you permit me to say that this is a much-anticipated sequel to an earlier book of yours? Yeah. My very first book actually was mm-hmm. called UFO Healing. It had a hundred accounts, and uh, boy, ever since that book came out, I've been getting a steady stream of new stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, that book has been out of print for a long time. I once checked on Amazon; it was like three hundred dollars <laughs> to get a copy. Wow! And people were getting pretty upset, and I was getting constant requests for copies and for a new book. So I finally just said, "All right, you know, I'm gonna do it." And it took a while, but I finally finished it, put it together, and uh, still getting more accounts. So I'm oh, I bet. more coming. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've got accounts literally from all over the world. France, Russia, uh, Afghanistan, there's an account. Um, Belgium, many in England, Canada, South America, Africa, all over the world. I guess we could say that Preston Dennett is a man of the world. We're looking forward to talking with you more next week about that book. Uh, Meanwhile, it's been about 30 days, and what's crossed your desk that's got you interested or intrigued? Well, something kind of interesting happened. I went to go film a TV shoot with the Travel Channel. Uh, Chuck Zukowski, a UFO researcher, long time, putting putting together this uh, really interesting show. And I'm going to be one of the episodes, or my research is featured in one of the episodes about a underwater UFO activity. So what they decided to do is send me down to Malibu, and they sort of uh, rented this mansion, is what it turned out to be for a day. And boy, oh boy, what an amazing uh, place here on uh, Zuma Beach. And the, would the purpose of the the, uh, the shoot again is to um, to talk about underwater UFO activity in that area. And this particular area where they took me to was smack in the middle of it, overlooks the Santa Monica Bay there, the Santa Catalina Channel, where all the activity is taking place. And so I got there a little early. Beautiful place, it overlooks the ocean. It's an amazing view. And I'm talking to the owners of the uh, house. And they're like, oh, are you with the TV shoot? You know, they rented it out. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm the researcher. They're like, oh, what are you talking about? And I said, well, actually, UFOs. And that's when they kind of gave me that weird look that I often get (laughs) when I bring this subject up. I'm like, what, you haven't seen anything? And they looked, I said, you know, I started telling them, you know, you actually live right here in the heart of a huge UFO hotspot. And uh, I would be, wouldn't be surprised at all if you guys haven't seen something. And 
they kind of looked at each other and looked back at me with a sort of guilty expression. I'm like, well, actually, we have. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, really? What did you see? And uh, it was really interesting. It was another really solid report of a UFO. Uh, they described, this was at night, um, some years back. Uh, there was multiple witnesses. The, the whole family was there, his girlfriend. And they saw this triangular-shaped craft. And it was moving too slow to be a plane. Uh, and uh, it was very low. And it came just right, not quite over the house, really over the ocean a little bit. About mm, maybe a 1,000 feet up, maybe 500. It was very low, they said. And just kind of glided very slowly from the right side to the left. So that's kind of heading south, south south-southeast, and uh, perfectly silent, had a little light on each corner, and as they described it, I'm like, mm, gosh, you know, what did you guys think this was? And they're like, well, it certainly wasn't, you know, the stealth bomber or anything that they've ever seen before, and they do live lo- along a flight path towards LAX, so they're pretty familiar with the aircraft coming uh, back and forth. They're like, no, we... We don't know what it was. And uh, I was intrigued because when I interview someone, I basically look for three markers to determine if this could possibly be a UFO. Did it look strange? Yes, it did. Did it uh, move strange? Yeah, it was moving in a way that was too slow for a plane. And what about the sound? Was there any um, unusual sounds associated with it? Well, it was perfectly silent. So it had pretty much all three markers that... uh, you know, I kind of keep an eye out for uh, in determining whether this could be anomalous. Mm-hmm. So it could have been military. I'm not going to completely rule that out, except for the fact, what is it doing flying over very low, right over the Pacific Coast Highway, uh, where, you know, there's a lot of people that would see this thing. So sort of doing that weird behavior that UFOs do, which is, they don't care sometimes if they're being seen. They kind of put on a display. They, I think they want people to see them, honestly. But it was a good sighting, and I kind of predicted that they had seen something. I was really tickled when they like, looked at each other and gave that, that really funny expression, like, uh-oh, you know something about us. So, yeah, another sighting in that area, and didn't surprise me a bit. So one of your previous books is about... Um undersea or underwater UFOs. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what we were mostly talking about. That area, I do think that there's probably an undersea uh, base of some kind, uh, alien, I'm presuming, because there's just too many reports in a sharply defined area over a very long period of time. And by that, I mean over 100 years. If you go back to the 1920s and earlier, there are accounts of silver saucer-shaped objects floating on the ocean and shooting straight up, darting at right angles, hovering, doing things that certainly we couldn't do in the 1920s. Maybe we could do them now, uh, but not back then. So it, it, whatever's there has been there for a very long time. Uh, Preston, from the, the uh, close-minded skeptic's corner, Silvery discs floating on the ocean in the 1920s, whales. <laughs> Silvery discs 
shooting up from the ocean of the air, belching whales with gas. <laughs> <laughs> Flying whales. Well, I'm not going to say, you know, that's impossible. I think it's highly unlikely. <clears throat> <laughs> Interesting to say that because there is one case just north of that area in the sort of Channel Islands, uh, Santa Barbara, that area, mm-hmm. where a guy did think he was seeing whales. I, I think I talked to you about that at one point. He saw these fish, what he thought were you know, large fish of some sort swarming under his boat until one came up real close and he thought, mm, this actually looks metallic. And it was sort of not fully saucer shaped, sort of a half saucer or a, maybe a manta ray shaped. Mm-hmm. And it was a craft. It was not a sea creature. And I uh, found that case really interesting because there was a lot of them. And they were swarming around under there for you know, a good period of time. A number of these cases don't involve, you know, one or two objects or even 10 or 20, but we're talking 50, 100, a few cases, you know, 200. So, some, I mean, there is an enormous amount of activity down there, and I really don't think our military owns, like, 200 advanced spacecraft and would certainly not be testing them around or, you know, underwater submarines. Um these function is both, by the way. These objects can come out of the water, fly around, and then go right back in. And while we may have flying submarines, I did, did some research into that. Uh, we were looking into flying submarines back in the 60s. Uh, we can't do it without any noise. And uh, as far as I can tell, they don't travel all that fast either. And these craft are being clocked you know, at a good 1,000 miles per hour. Uh, sometimes underwater, too, moving, darting around like nobody's business, underwater. So, ah, they must have a force field or something. We've, uh, we've had, a, <coughs> excuse me, accounts in the literature going back, as you say, many, many years of the relationship between uh, flying saucers or UFOs and water, uh, both uh, rivers, uh, lakes, larger bodies of water, uh, oceans, etc. And if you wanted to hide something, you know, out of, out of sight, out of mind, uh, one of the places that you might consider is just simply going underwater if your craft uh, allows you to do that. And so uh, I've always thought that the, that the closed-minded skeptic's response about, oh, these are just advanced craft that we have, is pretty uh, specious because you don't test stuff like that in, around, over, and alongside populated areas. There are plenty of places to test advanced exotic craft. You don't need to do that over the Pacific Coast Highway. Exactly. And for that matter, I mean, I've spoken to Navy pilots personally. I spoke to a Coast Guard captain. I spoke to a submarine navigator. Another guy who worked on a submarine, um, all kinds of Navy officers, and not one of them said, oh, this is ours. All of them said the same thing. We don't know what it is. It was very baffling to us. You know, it put our ship on lockdown. The entire submarine was up in arms about it. Um, so they're convinced it's not ours. And if they are, I mean, they would know. Okay, Preston, our big day is next Saturday conversation about that brand new book of yours the healing power of ufos 300 true accounts of people healed 
by extraterrestrials. And I'm going to wax poetic about the book next week. So, And I'm going to start reading your book early, too. Normally, I start about Wednesday for a quote-unquote normal book, but this is going to have to start, I think, probably on Monday. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm looking forward to it, my friend. Uh, congratulations. And Preston, how can people, uh, before we let you go, how can people find out more about this brand-new book? Uh, well, it's on Amazon and other online bookstores, and hopefully in bookstores near you. If you want to go to my website, uh, just Google my name. It should take you there, and I've got excerpts, and uh, you can certainly contact me through my website if you've got questions or comments or a story you want to share. And uh, Yeah, appreciate you scheduling me for a new show. I'm super excited. I've been preparing. I'm going to knock your guys' socks right off. Well, I know you've been busy with all the interviews and things, so it's great that we that you've got time for us. We appreciate that. My friend, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll talk to you in one week. Yay. Can't wait. Scott Colborn with Jim and Colleen and Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. We'll be right back with our main guest, Nancy Rines, and she's the author of a, a brand-new book, Awakenings... From the light. She captures your eye with a predatory stare, and you go willingly forward into a spider's lair. She's been... Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hear from brand new KZUM voices from your community before they even have their show on the air. Tune in to Beta Radio every Saturday from 3.30 to 5 p.m. on KZUM to hear from new KZUM programmers hosting shows that we hope to bring you regularly very soon. Beta Radio is a practice field of sorts for newly trained hosts to use their new studio skills and take their program idea for a spin. It's something new every week on Beta Radio, Saturdays from 3.30 to 5 here on KZUM.
Mr. Dave Epp on guitar with the band Enigma. And uh, I just, I think it's interesting that I like that song off of their previous recording, Cobalt. And the title of that song, Sky Dancer. Hmm, wonder why I like that. Yeah. Uh, just a heads up here. Uh, Gary Gablehouse's Celebration of Life uh, takes place tomorrow. Gary died on January 16th at age 67, and there'll be a celebration of life tomorrow, Sunday, March 3rd, from 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock p.m. at the Lincoln Firefighters Reception Hall, 241 Victory Lane, here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Gary was a patron, a friend, uh, he appeared regularly as a guest on the radio show. And uh, when uh, I had a life change and basically didn't know where to go in 2005, Gary was the guy that said, you know, until you get your feet on the ground, if you want to come over to my place, I'll give you a, an office and a desk and you can kind of get things together. And I didn't take him up on that, but I appreciated so much that offer, uh, really genuine offer, of trying to help me out at a time of need. He was that sort of a guy. He uh, was a guy that you would have uh, enjoyed having as your friend, even when you sat around <laughs> and agreed to disagree about a number of topics. Um, Six-degree black belt, he taught martial arts uh, and influence so many people. So if you want to take part tomorrow in the celebration of life for our friend Gary Gablehouse, it's tomorrow, Sunday, March 3rd, from 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock p.m. at the Lincoln Firefighters Reception Hall, 241 Victory Lane. Our next guest is Nancy Rines. She's the author of Messages from Heaven, and also, Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. She was born and raised on a small farm near Woodstock, Illinois. A writer and artist, and I think she formerly was around Boulder, Colorado. She's got, I think, a new, new home in Washington. We'll ask her about that. She spent most of her life as a scientist and a skeptic. She had a B.S. in geology from Northern Illinois University, and she completed her master's at the University of Colorado in Boulder. She also has a fine arts education from the American Academy of Art in Chicago. She's got experience as an archaeological artist, geologist, data analyst, and field technician for wildlife biology projects from 94 on. She worked as a science and technical writer in aerospace, healthcare, and software engineering. She was born and raised as a Roman Catholic. She became an atheist and later an agnostic in her late teens. Since her near-death experience, she has returned to a more spiritual and creative life based on the wisdom she learned in heaven. So, folks, if you've ever want to talk to somebody who's been to heaven and back, I'd like to have you meet our next guest, Nancy Rines. Nancy, good morning to you. Good morning. Hello. Thank you for having me on. 
Nancy, what part of the world do we find you in? Today I'm in Olympia, Washington. You know, it's the water and a whole lot more. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's actually beautifully sunny here today, which is nice. I'm going to my daughter's uh, concert. They're having a peace concert today down in Olympia, so I'm going to be attending that later this morning. Mm -hmm. I've uh, been to your website and seen all the programs and all the interviews that you've done. Boy, you've been busy. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> but for me, it's fun. You know, this is this is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me, it, it's, it's a little bit selfish. I do feel good when I talk to people about this, but it also helps me give back a little bit. I spend a lot of time, you know, trying to help other people through tough times in their lives, mm-hmm. especially... Uh, lately, it happens to be, you know, a lot of um, transitions, so deaths of loved ones, you know, transitions into other parts of life. So, for me, it's enjoyable to help out. Based upon, again, the response that you've had, all the interviews and the requests for speaking engagements, etc., why do you think there's interest in not only your story, but in the near-death experience? Why are people interested? Well, I think, you know, for a long time, uh, talking about, at least in the United States, uh, talking about death or even, you know, terminal illness was really taboo. And we just didn't want to go there. And I think now, and I hate to say, kind of bring it all back to the baby boomers, but I think that's part of what we're seeing is that as a large chunk of our national population is really coming into that stage of life where they have to either help their parents transition or, or they're going, you know, they're facing it themselves. Um, it's now no longer taboo to talk about these topics. And people are really just getting to the point where they're openly curious. And, we, and, and because of a lot of hard work for researchers for 20 or 30 years, and I'm thinking of like Dr. Uh, Dr. Moody and, Kenneth Ring, um, who have really been researching this experience from the standpoint of a, a scientific phenomenon, it's now okay to talk about it from that perspective as well. Mm-hmm. What a story um, that you've got in your book, Awakenings from the Light. What was what was Nancy Ryan's like before the accident? Very, very, very attached to materialism. And what I mean by that is uh, I was at that point I was really an atheist. Um, I didn't believe in anything other than the material world. So that you wish you can touch and measure with your hands. And which is funny because, you know, science is teaching us you know, especially physics, that that really doesn't exist the way we think it does anyway. But but I, you know, quietly ignored that <laughs> <laughs> and and focused in on, you know, what I could touch with my hands and sense with my eyes. Um, along with that, I, I, I wasn't outwardly, I didn't ridicule anyone for having their beliefs, but I was very very internally skeptical of any uh, 
stories that I heard about people having mystical experiences or even psychic experiences, even though I, I really wanted, I wanted to believe in that. I just didn't, I couldn't go there at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very, also like just personally, I was very anxious. I, 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 I don't know that I suffered um, clinical anxiety, but I certainly spent a lot of my time being anxious and fearful I was terrified of death. I didn't even want to think about it. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't conceptualize the complete stoppage of consciousness at the, you know, at the death of the body. And that's how what I. That's how I looked at it. Um, so for me, at that point, you know, the brain was it. The brain produced consciousness. Once the brain died, that was it. Um, which for me made me, I guess, a bit fearful and almost afraid to live life. It was bizarre. Um, but I, I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin enough to really fully embrace life. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a January morning, was it 2014? Yep. You uh, decided it was one of those Rocky Mountain uh, wonderful days that even though it's January, the temperatures are up in the 60s, and uh, it's a great day for a bike ride, especially for somebody like yourself <clears throat> that would think nothing of, in good weather, climbing on the bike and doing 30 to 40 miles. And this is, folks, <laughs> this is not the flatlands. <laughs> this is Colorado. <laughs> I guarantee you there's plenty of hills. So you thought, uh, wow, what a great day. Um, I'll do a bunch of errands around town. I'll hop on my bike. And uh, just I'll cruise around and enjoy the day and let the sun shine on my face and do my errands. And um, so you did part of your ride and you came to um, a roundabout. <clears throat> and I don't know if, if other bicyclists share some of the concerns and problems that you expressed with roundabouts, but as as you... We're riding up to this roundabout. What was on your mind? Tell us, kind of pick the story up from there. Well, first, this is this happened to be a almost a brand new roundabout, so it had only gone in I think maybe a couple of months before um, my accident in January of 2014. So it was fairly new for everyone. People were these were new at that point in Colorado, and we most people just didn't really know how to navigate them well. Especially on a bike, because what they what they did is there was a bike lane coming into the roundabout, and there was one on the other side. But then the roundabout itself didn't have a bike lane, and so then the road narrowed down. I don't even know that it, that it was a full lane wide. It got really narrow in the roundabout, and uh, I I sort of had one of those geez, I don't know what I'm going to do type of thing going on in my brain because I, I thought, well, I guess I better just take the whole lane, which is what you're supposed to do in that situation on a bike. Um, and so I took the whole lane. Luckily, that there, you know, I knew that there was a guy driving uh, a vehicle behind me. He was in some kind of a Subaru, I think. And he was, he was back far enough. He just backed off and, and let me take, take the lane. But as I'm in the, the traffic circle... I'm watching 
there's a road that's coming into the traffic circle from the right. So another road was coming in. And there were two vehicles on it. The lead vehicle was a big, uh, I think it was a Chevy Tahoe, big SUV. And it, at first it looked like it was going to slow down. So I, I mean, I'm careful. I'm watching what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it looked like it was going to slow down as I was, you know, kind of approaching where that road came in. Uh, and, and I thought, okay, I can, you know, I can scoot past this. But at the last second, instead of stopping, which is what she was supposed to have done, she was supposed to have stopped at that intersection, uh, she sort of accelerated through it and hit me broadside. Now, I didn't even have time to think at this point. All I could do was react. I put my hand out. I took my right hand off the handlebar of my bike and put it out. I was really trying to push off her vehicle, and I was hoping you know, to really push out of her way and get out of the way. Um, but I don't know exactly how it happened, but I ended up, I think I flipped up on top of her hood. So I'm looking in her windshield at her while my bike is being run over, you know, by her wheels. And what's she, uh, so what's she made, doing now, Nancy? Well, she's got her phone in her hands. <laughs> and I could see when I'm looking at the, looking at her through the, the windshield, she had her phone balanced up on top of the steering wheel and she was texting while she was trying to drive. So she was, her eyes were focused on her phone and she wasn't focused on where she was going. So she didn't, she actually did not know that she had hit me. You're trying to hold on to the, to the hood. You're right. looking in the windshield at her and she's oblivious to you. Right. My God. Yeah. Yeah, totally Nancy, if I this when I when I when I read the story and then I heard you recite it, it sounds like the people that created that roundabout really blew it in terms of the engineering because the roundabouts we've got in Lincoln, when you approach the roundabout, it's uh, from that entry road, it's a right angle turn. You cannot keep speed up. If you do, you're going to run right into the center of the roundabout. So you have to actually slow way down and then make a, in this case, a right turn to enter the roundabout. Um, it sounds like they didn't have any sort of slowdown. You could just take this access road and just bingo, enter the, the roundabout. Yeah, it, it was exactly like that. So it, you, you didn't really need to slow down to get into it. So people, um, even... You know, before this accident, I noticed that people would go through this thing very fast, and they'd come into it fast and they'd leave very fast. So it was—it never felt really safe, even in a car. Um, and then to have no bike lane, no, no way for a bike—you know—really to have a different way around it—that mm-hmm. um, was—that was challenging. You know, that—that that didn't make sense to me as a cyclist, but. And I need to ask your uh, forgiveness here, Nancy. I, I should have asked you this right up front. Are you um, are you okay talking about this? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I I read your book. This was a really traumatic experience. I mean, I I was uh, part of me was right there with you, trying to cling to the top of the hood as this woman barrels through that roundabout, trying to grab onto anything, you're sliding off 
Well, you pick the story up, if you will. Yeah, so I, you're, I mean, you're right on. I was, she kept driving because she didn't, she didn't see me, and I'm scrambling. I'm, you know, my my thought is I can't hit the ground. I can't hit the ground uh, because if I, you know, did, I was assuming that I would be run over, and and that was my biggest fear. Obviously, mm-hmm. anybody would be afraid of that. You're terrified. I was absolutely terrified that I would be run over. Um, but just the way that I was on the on the hood and and her continued driving, I couldn't really grab onto anything. I wasn't far enough up on the on the hood to like grab onto the top of it. Uh, so I was just slipping and finally, you know, flipped off the front of it and over you know over the front of her car. Oh my god! And hit the pavement. And, and it was at that point that, I mean, I, the, the thought in my head was, this is it, you know, I'm going to die. This, <laughs> there's not much good that comes out of a bicyclist, you know, getting run over by a, a car, especially a big SUV. Um, but at that point, so I hit the pavement with my left side and my left hip hit, I, you know, I heard a crack. And my left shoulder hit, and then my helmet actually hit the pavement. Um, my helmet it turned out, you know, saved my life. It it uh, it did finally crack like in half and fell off my head later, but it was fully cracked through. So people, if you're on a bike, I don't even care if you're on a bike, you know, bike path. Please wear a helmet. They really do save lives. Um, that one saved mine that day. So. I, I hit the pavement and you know, she didn't know, she still didn't know that I was there. And at the same time that I hit the pavement, I noticed something really odd happened. So I noticed that not only was I experiencing the accident from the normal perspective inside my body, like, you know, everyday consciousness, I was also experiencing it from a position outside of my body about, 50 to 75 feet away, kind of off, you know, off to the side in the, um, the grassy areas near the, the, the highway. And I thought at the time, that's really weird. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. Um, but the, the part of me that was kind of watching the accident was very calm very unlike the me that was in my body because the me that was in my body was terrified. Absolutely. You know, I was yelling and screaming and crying. And at this point, you know, the vehicle is running over my body. Now, granted, I am in between her front wheel, so I am not getting physically crushed by her tires or anything, but I'm now under her carriage as she's driving. And, Something on my, uh, either my coat or my backpack got stuck on her car. So these underneath the car, underneath that truck. Well, that's what I was experiencing, except I didn't have all the protective gear on that that stunt person had. Um, so I was really afraid. I mean, I, I didn't know what, I couldn't do anything except, you know, focus on survival at that point. It, grab onto but, anything. You see something, try to grab onto it because you got to stay away from the tires. Right. Yeah, that's the only thing I could think of is those back tires aren't too far away, and you know if I get run over, that's it. Um, 
And luckily for me, and I know it's not, you know for a lot of people listening, it might sound horrendous, but I'm very grateful that I was conscious because I was able to reach up with my right arm and grab onto a part of her um, axle, which allowed me a little bit more security in that I wouldn't get run over by her tires. Um, so I had some consciousness. If I hadn't been conscious, I, I don't know what would have happened. I think it probably would have been run over. Um, but but that part of me that was kind of witnessing this from outside was very calm and was talking, you know, to the to the human me in my body saying, it's okay, this will be okay, this is happening exactly as it should, it will be okay in the end, don't worry. Um, so there was a very odd sense of the difference that we have from our, what I call our bo- the body's consciousness, mm-hmm. so the human level of consciousness and that higher consciousness that we all have. Um, but at the time, I didn't know what that was, so I'm thinking, well, this is weird. I don't know what to do with this, and just kind of put it aside until the whole accident stopped. After the top of the break, we'll pick the story up from here. This is Nancy Rines, our first-time guest, the author of Messages from Heaven and Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. Um, if you'd like to go to <clears throat> her website, it's her first and nan- uh, last name, Nancy Rines, R-Y-N-E-S, dot com. I'm Scott Colborn with Colleen and Jim, and you guys and gals. We'll be right back. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And by the Haymarket Farmer's Market. Thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray, and Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. 
Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and Colleen, our special guest, Nancy Rines. She's written a book, Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. If you've just joined us, Nancy has been hit by a big SUV in a roundabout in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, she's grabbing on to part of the undercarriage of the car to try to stay away from the tires. Uh, Wasn't it fortuitous that before the bike ride, you thought, you know, this day and the weather could change. I better take a few warmer clothes in a backpack with me. Right. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I had one of those small... um cycling backpacks. I, I don't remember who made it, but it was just a small backpack that I stuffed, you know, an extra jacket in and some leggings just in case it got chilly. You just never know in Colorado mm-hmm. um, what's going to happen. So I stuffed it full. And I mean, that was one of the things that really saved my, it, it, it saved my, definitely saved my back from getting road rash. I didn't, you know, you're, People might be listening and thinking, well, she's going to be really scraped up. I actually didn't have, I think I had one little spot of road rash on me, you know, where my where my shoulder um, scraped on the pavement a little bit. But for the most part, my, my clothing that I was wearing and this backpack uh, saved my skin. It unfortunately didn't save my bones, but it, it did help cushion a lot of what was happening under that vehicle. Uh, I, I probably would have been a lot more battered up, too, if I hadn't had a backpack on on that day. And thank God that you remained conscious. Uh, if, yeah. If you would have come off the front of that Tahoe and your head hitting the, the concrete and splitting that helmet, if you would have lost consciousness, Wow. So she yeah. she drug you for about fifty feet then. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard for the the um, police to figure out exactly how far it. They said at least um, thirty, as far as much as seventy five. So it it's somewhere in there. I usually I usually just kind of average it out at about fifty. Um, but what finally stopped her was one of the one of the witnesses who was driving another vehicle saw what had happened and cut her off. He drove around the roundabout the wrong way in order to to physically put his vehicle in front of hers and stop her. So he, uh, he was able, you know, once, once he put a vehicle in front of her, she stopped and, uh, and, and then, you know, they were able to call the paramedics at that point. And she gets Uh, out of the car and you're, uh, probably still conscious, but you may be going into shock. You're, you're trying to, to figure out how to get out from underneath your car and she's yelling at you. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, she was. (laughs) I I, I don't want to be judgmental, but was this, was this lady uh, drunk or stoned or something? Actually, I'm not, I don't really know. I think they did, test her blood alcohol and she was not drunk. Uh, I don't know about, you know, whether she had been smoking pot or anything like that, but 
because uh, I don't know if pot was le- pot was not legal in Colorado at that time, but that really didn't matter. But she was um, I she was a repeat offender, so she had done similar things before. Did not have a driver's license and was you know driving without a license and without um, insurance really and. So, and, you know, I guess eventually the, the police told me she had a, a traffic record as long as your arm. I don't know what that means, but, but she was a repeat offender. And I think part, I think she just, you know, in her own life, in her own past, she wasn't at a point in her life where she was really fully able to take responsibility and, and feel um, remorse, really, for what she had done. She was. I think she was also scared, like, holy cow, what did I just do? And the only things that she could think of was to start screaming. Uh, and that was, I was the one who was the focus of that. So I, I think it was really, she was at a really uh, challenged place in her life. And, I'm, you know, I'm hoping she got her life back together after this. But she wasn't conscious enough to be able to mm-hmm. say, oh, my gosh, what did I do? I'm sorry. Um, did she ever seek you out? out? Did she ever seek you out and, and apologize? Well, she wasn't allowed to because there, because uh, one of the charges laid against her was vehicular assault. They also um, slapped her with a restraining order. So she wasn't allowed to speak okay. with me directly. But she did send a message to me through her attorney uh, within, I think it was about a month after the accident, but she still didn't, um, she didn't apologize, which I thought was really odd. You know, she wasn't, she still at that point wasn't taking responsibility for what she had done. Um, but you know, that could be, you know, the attorney in there too. I I don't know, but, Mm -hmm. but anyway, I did not get an apology. Um, she, she, what all the only thing that she asked for was that I be, um, kind to her when I was up on the stand, you know, in court. <laughs> because she had little kids. I'm like, yeah, well, whatever. That's I'm just going to say it's the way it is. It's up to the judge to decide what's going to happen, not me. So, Nancy, thank God that that person cut her off because as I yeah. read the book and then talked with you, I have a suspicion that had he nut cut her off, she would have tried to have left the area and just drug you along until you weren't. Right. My God. I, I think so. Um, and there was a, I guess the bystanders later said to the, told the police officers that they were afraid that she was going to run and uh, drive off after this all, you know, after they got me out from under the car. So they sort of pinned her um in her vehicle with the door still open, so they wouldn't let her leave mm-hmm. because they were afraid that she was going to back off, you know, with her vehicle and just drive away. So there was a fear of that. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, the paramedics and the police and the fire, the fire and rescue came, and um, you know, that's when that's when everybody realized just how badly injured I was. It was it was. At that point is, is when the pain kicked in. I didn't feel any physical pain while all this was happening, which I know is um, challenging for some people. They're like, oh, wasn't, didn't it hurt? I'm like, no, actually, it didn't physically hurt until 
after everything stopped, you know. So that's when the pain kicked in. That's when I knew um, once the paramedics started working on me, there was something really wrong with my back. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't find out until a couple hours later in the in the ER what that was. Nancy, you had this um, this expansion or split of consciousness that you talked about where part of you is directly involved, fighting for your life, screaming, yelling, crying, trying to grab onto the car, and part of your consciousness was detached um, off to the side watching this. Mm-hmm. At, at what point did those, is merge the right term? When did they, when did that, that bilocation cease? Yeah, so that, as soon as the paramedics got there and started, they very gently were kind of poking around uh, on my spine and my neck to see, you know, what might be broken. And when the pain, it's when the, really when the pain kicked in that I felt and I sensed that, that that other part of me, that was the watcher part, you know, my higher self, that came like slamming back into my body and, mm-hmm. and I was back whole again uh, in my body. And from that point on, um, I didn't have, there's nothing really. Uh, weird, I, what, what I called at the time weird, you know, that was a weird thing that I didn't know what was mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. But that, that I was so focused on, he, you know, the pain and, you know, the physical injuries that I stayed together, you know, whole uh, up until the, mm-hmm. the near-death experience a few days later. So they've got you in the hospital, they're assessing... Um the damage inflicted upon you, they discover more and more. Yeah. And you've got to have um, some corrective surgery, but it can't be done immediately. They make you wait for two or three days. And so when they... They've got you stabilized on opiates... You've got um, some family and friends arriving to be with you. You go into surgery, and what happens? Yeah, so they they wheeled me into the OR, and they started to give me the anesthesia via IV. And the last thing I remember was, you know, the anesthesiologist was cracking jokes through the whole thing. And so he started, you know, joking around. Um, I guess that's just what they do. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But uh, he, he, so he was cracking some jokes, and I drifted off. And what I remember is that I woke up. And I woke up not in the OR, not in the hospital at all, but I woke up outside standing up on a hillside looking out at an incredibly, incredibly beautiful landscape um, that was just absolutely glowing with this bright, but not blinding, just bright, 
almost silvery light. It wasn't golden. It was more of a silvery, cool color that was everywhere. And I knew that something was not quite right. <laughs> this isn't normal for surgery. When you go in to, for any kind of an anesthesia procedure, the whole point of general anesthesia is to effectively put you into a comatose state. I mean, it's a controlled coma where you're not conscious at all. Yeah. Um, and if they do mess up and you're still conscious, what you're typically experiencing is the OR, the operating room. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes they don't give you enough and you're still kind of hearing what's going on in the OR. But that's not what happened to me. I found out later that I had had some kind of a reaction to the anesthesia, which was odd because I'd had this anesthesia before, but it may have been the result of, you know, having been in this traumatic accident and and something interacting oddly with my body at this point. Um, so my heart stopped. This is what the, the nurses told me, that my heart stopped. Uh, my breathing stopped, my blood pressure went to zero. So effectively, I was I was coding. They don't call codes in the OR like they do if you're in just a regular room, but that's, that's what was going on. And so they were working, you know, to get my heart going again. But I wasn't aware of that where I was. I was just immediately transported out of there and into this, place or state of being that was completely separate and incredibly beautiful and full of, the only way I can describe it is it was just full of divine love, divine energy, loving energy. You know, I try not to put too much, you know, religion necessarily to it, but it was certainly a very loving, uh, welcoming energy presence that was there with me. Nancy, if you had uh, right now a million bucks that you could spend to experience that state again, would you spend it? Well, I hate, I hate to say it, but I can get back there anytime I want. <laughs> so without dying. So I know how to do it without spending money. <laughs> so I spend my money and donate it to something else. But so, but that was one of the, you're right. I mean, I did want, when I came back, I wanted to re-experience that state because it was so peaceful and so incredible. And over the course of, you know, the intervening years between then and now, I've, I've learned how to access that, that state again for short periods of time, granted. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not, you know, dying or inflicting harm on myself. It's just, Mm-hmm. you know, a technique, but, um, so, so the point of, yeah, the point of my question was just, this was a, um, peak life experience. This was extraordinary. Yeah. This was out of the ordinary. You'd never experienced anything like this before. And could you, if you were, if one was able to re- recreate it, you would be there in a heartbeat. Um, right. I, I picked up from reading your book again about the the absolute quality of love that permeated everything, the ground you walked on, the trees, the distant hills, 
and then you were joined by somebody. Right. Yeah, I was joined by what at first looked to you know, she looked to be a woman, um, a womanly figure, a little bit taller than me, and she had but looked to be long hair and wore clothing that was like very flowing. It wasn't like a like a robe or anything or a tunic, but it was like drapey uh, shirt and pants type of thing, um, but very drapey and. But they were almost silvery color. Again, we get back to that silvery, glowing feeling. And that's really what what it looked like. She looked like she glowed with mm-hmm. this silvery light. And But the funny thing was that I was never able to fully see her face. So it was always fuzzy. Like, I couldn't really catch a glimpse of, of the features. Um, which is odd because everything else was crystal clear. For me, but I was not allowed to really see what she looked like in her face, which in the end didn't really matter, but it was a little disturbing at the time. <laughs> yes. Uh, was was there any part of you that remembered that you were seriously injured and that you were at that moment in surgery? Or had you, was yeah. this such a huge experience, such a shift that you just even forgot about that? No, actually, I remembered it. I was fully conscious of the fact that my body was in surgery. And there was a point, well, it was actually a little bit before she showed up uh, in my, you know, in my, in the area that I was standing in, um, that I thought to myself, well, shoot, I wonder if I died on the operating table. Mm-hmm. So I had that knowing that, yes, my body was being operated on. Um, and and then, then I was wondering, well, shoot, this isn't normal, so I wonder if I had died on the operating table. So I had, again, I was conscious enough and aware enough to be questioning what it was that was going on. Like I was thinking, well, shoot, I wonder if I died. And this is what people talk about that happens when they die. But wait a minute. I don't believe in any of this. (laughs) Could you speak with her? Uh, Could you um, articulate, ask questions? I could. I could ask verbal questions, although I learned quite quickly that the best questions were before I even voiced them with what I had for a voice. So as soon as I thought a question, before I had a chance to voice it, she was answering it. So she was tapping into what I was feeling and thinking before I could even put voice to it. Did you ask her if if you were dying? Well, I I asked if I could stay here because I knew that something was going on on the operating table. And she had explained to me that where I was was in a state, like, basically between life and death, between physical life. I'm not going to say that's not life, because Mm -hmm. it is, but between physical life and physical death. I was in a state between. Um, And I really, I, I was so enamored with where I was that I did not want to go back mm-hmm. to my physical life. 
In, in, the, in the book, Awakenings from the Light, on page 47, you've got a list of the messages. Um, before our break, would you give us permission to read these? Then we can come back and talk about some of these. Sure, yeah, go ahead and, and um, I don't have my book with in front of me right now, but... I've got it right here. So, Colleen or Jim, which one of you would like to read these messages? Uh, I'll take a, a whack at it here. <laughs> uh, shall we start at number one? Uh, sure. We are not only on earth to learn, but to love. And number two, you are a miracle. Treat yourself like one. Number three, this earth and the universe are also miracles. Four is each one of us is more powerful than we can imagine. Five, each one of us, all of creation is connected. Six, allow, let go, and let spirit work in your life. And I'm going to let Colleen take it up from there because I know she loves this kind of thing. Let me adjust my mic. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of swinging around. Um, well, seven. Seven. Show love to others by allowing them to show love. Eight. Learn to listen to your heart. Nine. You are never alone. Ten. Your most powerful tool is your power of choice. Eleven. You have one chance at life as you live fully. 12, live and feel your gratitude. And I'm just going to add real quick that this sounds a lot like the virtues I grew up with. I and knew you, you were going to say yeah. that. You might mention yeah. it, Nancy, why yeah. that is. Okay, so uh, I am a member of the Oglala Lakota tribe um, from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. And there's kind of like this loose set of rules that a lot of us traditionalists live by and a lot of them are these same tenets. Mm -hmm. Very good. Wow. I had no idea. That's great. I love it. We'll come back and talk with our guest today, Nancy Rines, after our bottom of the hour break. She's the author of the book in which we just read these messages from that she got from this guide. The book is Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. Thank you, Jim and Colleen, for reading those messages. My pleasure. And we're going to let people ponder those as we go to our bottom-of-the-hour break, and we'll come back and talk. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim and Colleen and our special guest, Nancy Rines, and you guys and gals. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln. Offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. 
and by the Haymarket Farmers Market, thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. That's a track called Sky Dancer from Enigma and their previous recording, Cobalt. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim and Colleen. Our special guest next week, you heard him sort of do kind of the prelim, if you will, in our opening segment. We talked about, uh, talked with Preston Dennett about this brand new book of his called the Healing Power of UFOs, 300 True Accounts of People Healed by Extraterrestrials. The book runs in excess of 500 pages, and uh, that's our focus next week with our special guest, Preston Dennett. Today, Nancy Rines, she's talked about how the book Awakenings from the Light came into being. Nancy's brought us through a traumatic bicycle SUV accident that she had. She talked about being in surgery and having this near-death experience. Is, is that an appropriate term to, to use as a descriptor, Nancy, for what you experienced? Was it indeed a near-death experience? Well, I, I guess technically it is. Uh, that's been uh, the established term that, that people have used. Raymond Moody actually coined that term, I don't know, at least 30 years ago. Uh, today, uh, most people who have these experiences, we really just don't like that term because it, uh, there's a lot of confusion about what that means. So mm-hmm. we often now, amongst you know those of us who have had these, we either just simply call them uh, a spiritual experience or some people like to call them an afterlife experience or simply a death experience. So right. it's near-death experience is the accept, 
term. Um, I prefer now just to use the term, you know, spiritual experience, because for me, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, You wanted to stay there in this place. Um, If it was heaven uh, or one of the many mansions of heaven, it was a attractive place on so many different levels for you. Obviously, you were you were embraced um, by love. That was the main essence of that place. And when you were told by this guide, Nancy, that that you needed to go back and fulfill your agreement. What was that about? What kind of an agreement? <laughs> yeah, I really didn't. I, as I said before, I didn't want to come back. You didn't, and yeah. I was sort of getting a little bit, not just a little bit angry. I was actually getting angry at the thought of coming back and scared. I didn't want to come back into who knows what was going to happen with my body. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I threw a little bit of a temper tantrum and, you know, she said, look, you've already agreed to go back and do this. And I said, well, I don't remember agreeing to any of that, uh, kind of in a snippy, snippy way. And she said, well, here it is. And she, kind of in the air in front of me, she showed me it was really her memory she was remembering for me, but kind of projecting her memory so that I could see it of me, my soul, not not this physical me, but my soul being, my spiritual being. Um, before my birth into this body, I was in this beautiful place with my other other spiritual friends or spiritual teachers or you know that divine creator. Um, and I, there were things that I wanted to learn or touch on during this life. And I was agreeing to those things. And one of the things that, that I had agreed to do was to make the transition from kind of a non-belief state to a, to a believer state. So I, I wanted to experience skepticism, you know, atheism, whatever you want to call it, but then make that transition. Now, I was also agreeing to the fact that there were three potential points in my life where I could make that shift. Mm-hmm. Um, two of them would be easy. So the first couple would have been an, a, a relatively easy shift to make. There was nothing, you know, traumatic going on to my body. But if I, I had agreed to the fact that if I didn't make the shift with point in my life number one or point in my life number two, that one point in my life, number three came, which was this accident, that I would go through this traumatic thing and and have this experience of the spirit world or the spiritual realm and then come back into my physical life. So, you know, it was like the stakes escalated with each particular point that I, you know, turned away from my path. And by the third point in my path, which was this accident, I could no longer, you know, walk a different path. I had I had to, to take the path that I had set out for myself before this life. Mm-hmm. And so once she once she showed that to me, I, re, I there was a memory of it. There was the 
Oh, yeah, that's right. I kind of do remember that. (laughs) (laughs) And, oh, boy, I guess I need to, like, listen to her because this is for real, and I am going to be sent back. Mm -hmm. Um, And I need to learn whatever she's going to teach me so that when I go back, I will be effective in whatever I choose to do. This guide or this angel um, knew of your trepidation in coming back to a broken body and a totally uncertain life. So she gave you some encouragement and, if you will, helped you to understand that your future would be okay. Yeah. Yeah, she gave me some glimpses of the future. Uh, Some of them were... She was doing this to, to... a, helped me know that things were going to be okay. So she showed me, you know, what was going to happen with the particular uh, relationship I was in, that it would break up. But in the end, you know, it would be, everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. There were some other points that I didn't put in the book, which were very personal, um, mm-hmm. you know, things that were happening with my family that would happen that eventually did come to pass. Not with my doing, it was just outside events. Um, and then, there were some other things that I didn't put in the book that she did show me. I mean, she showed me national events and international events that would happen. And it turns out they did come to pass. Most of them have so far. There are still a few that are outstanding. But, you know, the major one um, that she told me about, which I didn't believe, I you know, I really didn't believe at the time, was uh, that that Donald Trump would be the next president. Now, at this point, and this is completely beyond politics, but at this point, he hadn't even put his hat in the ring. That he, you know, he did not even declare at this point. So, this was before he even declared that he was going to run for the Republican nomination. So, for me, it was like, really? I mean, this—I know him as a businessman, but I can't see him running for president. That just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So I didn't put that in the book because it was so far out. (laughs) But, you know, it turns out that that's exactly what happened. So she had these things that she told me and showed me, I guess, to give me a sense of what was coming so that I knew, okay, here's the lay of the land. You're going to be fine. And, you know, the country is going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. But... She wanted to give me those those points so that I had, I think, some idea of what I was getting mm-hmm. back into. You know that that I would be okay physically, that I wouldn't be. I was really afraid of being a paraplegic. I can't tell you how afraid I was of that. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, it, the surgery will be successful. It'll be fine. So having that those premonitions or not really premonitions, but glimpses of what the future would hold really did help me settle down and be able to really listen to what she had to say and what she was teaching me. Nancy, we'll be right back. Uh, When we come back, I'd like to have you pick um, one of the lessons that you think is a real gift for people to hear. And let's talk about that. We'll be right back with Nancy Ryans. I'm Scott Colborn. Don't go anyplace. 
Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, Crescent Moon Coffee, Meadowlark Coffee, and the Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, March 2nd, Eldon Drive starts at Meadowlark Coffee at 7. The Claire Adams Trio plays the Zoo Bar at 6, followed by Sapien Sounds at 9.30. And the Bart Crow Band plays the Bourbon Theater at 8. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Exploring Unexplained Phenomena with Scott, Jim, Colleen, and our special guest, Nancy Ryans, the author of Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. Nancy, uh, of the 12 lessons, what, what lesson would be a real gift for my audience to hear this morning? Well, I think the one that popped into my head was really the one about uh, that we are all connected to each other and we're connected to everything around us because that was one of, that was a new one for me. I hadn't really fully understood the depth of that uh, until this experience and, and it profoundly changed the way that I interact with people. Uh, and and the environment. So this particular message came uh, when there's a, oftentimes you'll hear when people have these experiences of the spirit world or the afterlife, um, we're often given what people call a, uh, a life review. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a term at the time. So I didn't, I didn't have any words for what this was, but my my spiritual teacher brought me to this pond in the mountains and told me to touch the surface of the pond to see what would happen. And I, I mean, intellectually, I knew what would happen. There would be ripples that went out from the surface, uh, from where I touched the surface. Um, but she said, you know, touch it anyway. So I did. And sure enough, you know, there was a series of ripples that went out from where I touched the surface. But then on top of all of those ripples, I mean, it was kind of surreal. There was all over the top of this pond where I could see little moments in my life where I had interacted with someone in either a positive or a negative way. So, you know, I might have been cranky one day and said something mean to someone unintentionally or maybe intentionally. And in another one, I was helping someone. So I had, there was this balanced view of some of the things that I had done in my life and, and the interactions I'd had. And I could focus in on one of those and then experience, re, re-experience that event, not only from my perspective, but from the perspective of the person that I was interacting with. So 
for example, there was a point uh, in when I was still living in Colorado. I think I probably first moved there. I wasn't still in school, uh, where I had gone into a grocery store at Christmas time, and the clerk at the checkout at the checkout lane was just frazzled. It was a busy day, and she was almost in tears that she was so busy. And I just, from my heart, I said, you know, thank you for doing such a great job. I really appreciate what you're doing here today. I know it's a hard day, but so I was just very appreciative of her. So what I was able to see in that moment with reviewing this event was my interaction, but then I could also feel her gratitude for what I said. So I got a glimpse into her feeling and how that uh, that itself shifted her day. So she had been in kind of a negative state that day, but my little, just my little boost helped her get through the rest of the day. And it wasn't a lot, but it was enough to make her feel a little bit better. So I got to feel that gratitude. Now, part of this lesson from my guide at the same time was we are all intimately connected through this spiritual energy. We can call it divine energy. We can call it, you know, creative energy, love, whatever you want to call it. We are all connected. So what I do for someone else or to someone else, I am also doing for or to myself. Yes. So there, those, those ripple effects go everywhere for everyone and everything. And that also includes, you know, the world around us as well. Yeah, I'm reminded of that, that quote from Jesus that whatever you do to the least of of them, you also do to me. Yeah. Well, and it also includes, you know, one of the things, at least in this country, we try not to think about too much, you know, at least in the the typical culture, is what we do to to our natural world, we also do ourselves. What we do to the animals, we also do to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it isn't just other people. It's not just human-centric. This is everything. Um, It's all... It's all one. All of it is one. Mm-hmm. Never a dull moment, Nancy. <laughs> I, exactly. I, I bet you don't really have a blue Monday. No. No, I feel, you know, when I get up in the morning, the first, well, actually before my feet even touch the ground, every morning I'm just grateful. Absolutely. Not with my, not with just my brain either, but with my heart. So it's a heart-centered gratitude for the simple act of being able to breathe and being able to stand up. I mean, that's still a gift. There was a point at which it wasn't sure whether I would ever walk again. So for me, I start each day feeling that deep gratitude for whatever it is that I have going on that day, whether it be challenging or easy. You know, my life is one of living that gratitude as much as I can. Uh, How has your family been in terms of their reception of the new Nancy and of your message? Well, the funny thing is that... um, I was kind of the only one in my family who was 
uh, a non-believer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, in a way, it was like, well, she's finally come back into the fold. Uh, my my beliefs aren't exactly like theirs, but at least um, we have now common things that we can talk about. They don't, for example, my sisters no longer feel uh, any hesitancy about talking with me about spiritual matters. Before, they they would never talk to me about that stuff because I was always skeptical of it. Mm-hmm. So, and my daughter, it's like that little girl, when she was born, was born a spiritual person. I don't know how, because <laughs> both of her parents were atheists, but, you know, she came into this life very spiritual. Mm-hmm. And when this happened, she was 13, and was very happy that her mom was now a spiritual person. So she, again, she could talk to me about these things without feeling any fear. So it, for my family, it really opened up a lot of doors that I had closed off. Um, you know, but that's not always the case. So sometimes big spiritual events or life events like this can really challenge a family. Um, and... And it has for some of my friends who have had similar, you know, death experiences. So what, you know, what I can say to folks out there, if you have someone in your family who has had a really unexplainable experience like this or a huge life-altering experience, just be, be open to listening and be loving as much as you can because it's hard. <laughs> It's hard. You're just afraid that people won't accept you anymore, um, especially when it's new. So just be as loving as possible. Nancy, thank you for the gift that you've given us in this book, Awakenings from the Light. Uh, I am so sorry that you had to go through that experience, but I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you now. Um, thank you for taking time this weekend to be with my audience and to share these gifts of uh, faith and hope and love. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. NancyRyans.com. Nancy, R-Y-N-E-S, NancyRyans.com. The author of Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. Our special guest today on Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Uh, Colleen, let's start with you. What are you doing for the rest of the weekend? Um, well, <clears throat> okay, Jim. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. It's just like uh, I did manage to get a video camera. Oh, it's like this good. really teeny tiny kind of one that you can kind of hide in different places. Um, unfortunately, it needs to be kept charged at all times. So I'm trying to find a battery pack for it. But hopefully, once we get video confirmation of this stalker, um, the police can actually mm-hmm. get right on there. Because right now, they've been, like, kind of dragging their feet, which is unfortunate. Jim, how about you? What do you have going on? Uh, well, I'm going to try, try and stay warm and uh, hopefully avoid some of the snow. But, you know, the usual stuff. During our program, we saw some flurries coming there, down. Yeah, there was a little bit of light snow there for a bit. I can and, still uh, see a little bit out there coming well, down. I, I looked at the radar just a few minutes ago, and it's on its way. 
Uh, thanks again to Nancy Rines for being our guest today. Next week's guest, Preston Dennett, The Healing Power of UFOs. Stay tuned for Vic with Mesoterra coming up. I'm going to go have some lunch, and I'm going to have a great rest of day. That would be my hope and wish for you as well. Thank you so much for being out there, ladies and gentlemen, for listening, for your support in all ways. I'm Scott Colborn, and until next week, walk in beauty.